RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Hump Day Val and Beans. We are here with a special guest, retired FBI Special Agent Mark Ryder. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, we met through Kyle, um, and I wanted, I talked to you for a little while, read everything that you sent me, which is incredible, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell your story to our audience because I think it's pretty amazing. So start where you'd like to start. Uh, so probably the quickest way to start it, uh, it's a long sorted story, sad story. Um, I was the uh, squad supervisor of the cyber squad in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, part of my responsibilities or part of the things that I did was run fit tests for um, prospective new agents that were trying to get into the bureau. Um, one day I come down to my office and uh, there's, a, there's an application on my desk uh, with the form, hey, contact this guy and run him through the fit test. So I call him up, schedule a time. We head out to uh, where we run our fit tests and he shows up uh, being a trained observer. Uh, I noticed that when he shows up, he's missing um, his left, left, basically his left hand. It's hard to tell with the prosthetic on, but he has a prosthetic hand on his left side. Um, he proceeds to run through the uh, fit test like it's it's a day in the park. Uh, come to find out, we start talking, small talk, uh, as all FBI agents do when they meet you, they're gonna talk to you and find out everything they can without letting you know that they're trying to find out everything that they can about you. And uh, so find out he's a former Army Ranger, 75th uh, Ranger Regiment guy, I'm a former Navy guy. Uh, you know, I. I think that the Navy is still part of the military. So I'm always keen to talk to other military guys, um, find out that he um, accidentally blew his hand off with a faulty flashbang, preparing for his third or fourth deployment overseas. Um, so he blows through. Uh, the only thing weird uh, in, in his whole thing is at that time we were doing pull-ups, but they didn't really count. We were just doing them for statistical data. He did, uh, he, he did 14 pull-ups, basically um, one-armed because his prosthetic, uh, his amputation is at the wrist. And so his prosthetic is just kind of um, friction fit over the top of his stump, um, basically. And so he just used his left hand for balance on the pull-up bar. But uh, other than that, he kind of blew through it. I told him, I said, hey, next time you're in the office doing some application stuff, feel free to stop by. I'll give you as much information as I can about what to expect at the academy, the process and all that kind of stuff. So he came in, I think I talked to him one other time. Um, and then several months later, I got noticed from the um, applicant coordinator that um, I'm also a firearms instructor. And he said, hey, that applicant that uh, you did the fit test on has to do, I think that don't quote me on the number, but there's 247 job essential skills for a special agent. And he has to demonstrate those skills. And 13 of them have to do with firearms. So I went over to Marquette University where he was working with the occupational therapist. Um, and that guy was evaluating him. And so I took the guns over that were required. I took red handles, which are fully functional guns that don't fire basically uh the firing pins are removed but you can take them apart they act just like a real gun other than the fact that you can't put a bullet in them and fire them so i take them over there uh on a couple of the things uh the occupation some of them were very uh evident like point a gun at somebody that kind of stuff um, some of them the occupational therapist didn't know what it meant so i demonstrated it for him and then um justin would uh, demonstrate it afterwards so that was kind of the um, kind of my last uh, dealings with him until I was back at FBI headquarters. He ended up uh, getting an appointment, went to the academy. I happened to be down at the academy for a, um, um, let me back up. I called uh, shortly after he went to the academy, I called down to the academy to his class counselor to find out how he did on the fit test, which was kind of my routine 
to make sure that when I score a fit test, you know, let's, let's say you're scoring them out of 40 points and I score them at a 38, they get to the academy and they score a 16. There's a big disparity there. I'm either doing something wrong or the academy is doing something different than what I am. So I always like to call down and make sure that what my scores are are pretty consistent with what they what they get down there. I had a weird conversation with his class counselor. Basically, uh, she just wanted to complain about the fact that we had sent him down there, which was not anywhere in my uh, my purview. Uh, I just did his fit test. And so he was kind fit, of right? I mean, he was fit. Yeah, he he passed everything. Uh, he had he kind of got put through the ringer on, you know, I never did any of the job essential skills. I never demonstrated any skills when I came into the FBI. I didn't even know there were 247 skills. Um, but so I, I'm actually at the academy for an in, some in-service training. Um, and I'm sitting and having breakfast the first morning. And Justin comes up to me uh, in the chow hall and um, tells me that uh, I think it was about week six or seven of the academy that he had been um, removed from training pending improvement of his medical condition, which would have been uh, his hand that was permanently gone. Um, so we talked a little bit um, uh, after, after hours, you know, at five o'clock, you're kind of held captive on at Quantico. There's not a whole lot to do there. Um, we would go for runs, workout in the gym that's available there, um, and have a beer in the boardroom on, on a couple of occasions. Uh, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, I basically tried to keep the spirits up. I thought it was kind of an anomaly that they had removed him from training. I didn't think it would be anything permanent, um, you know, and he was pretty down in the dumps being removed from training. Anybody that knows Army Rangers, they're type A, highly motivated individuals. So um, I come back to Milwaukee on Friday. Um, Monday morning, I go into the office and my ASAC, who's the number two guy in the office, uh, calls me into the office and starts questioning me about um, training Justin while I was down at Quantico. Um, and I'm somewhat confused and didn't really understand what was going on. And um, didn't kind of get the whole gist of the conversation. So I kind of left his office um, kind of puzzled and stuff. And uh, several hours later, I got called into the SAC's office, who was the head of the office, and uh, basically read the riot act about training Justin while I was at the academy. Um, by this point now, I'm kind of uh, pissed off uh, for being accused of doing something that I didn't do. Um, and so I I start throwing some questions back and asking who's accused me. Uh, she won't tell me who is making these accusations and she's just upset with me for no reason and doesn't care what I have to say. So what are you being accused of again? It's specifically training, training uh, the guy with a, a, a man with a prosthetic or yeah, what is training, training Justin. And at this point in my career, because I'm of his prosthetic or because he was an army ranger. Why? Nobody knows. I, I have no idea because I'm not supposed to be training uh, trainees at the academy. But at this point in my career, I'm a firearms instructor. I'm a defensive tactics instructor. I'm a tactical instructor. I'm a SWAT instructor. I'm SWAT certified. I'm a cyber instructor. Uh, I'm a master police instructor. I'm one of less than 50 master police instructors in the history of the FBI. Um, so um, I can train him. I, I mean, I'm qualified to train him on any aspect of being an FBI special agent at that point. Not that I did. Uh, I did nothing more than go for a few runs with him. And I'm quite a few years older than Justin is. And he ran me into the dirt. Um, so I'm not sure who was training who on those runs. Um, and I certainly didn't train him to drink beer because I'm not that big of a beer drinker. So um, <laughs> this, this is where kind of the, the, uh, the questions start arising, but um, I'm pretty dense and I don't pick up on the fact that uh, I'm, I'm slowly being targeted. Uh, so um, kind of make a long story short, he ends up filing an EEO because uh, they keep him out of training. He files an EEO complaint that goes nowhere in the FBI like it normally does. Um, and uh, he ends up filing a federal lawsuit, a discrimination lawsuit. Um, so 
a little bit of time elapses. I believe he comes back to the FBI office and is kind of stashed there for a while doing menial jobs. And then he goes back out to Quantico and is stashed at CERG, um, awaiting his lawsuit to kind of filter through the system, which is a slow process in the federal government. Um, about, I, I can't remember how much longer it was, but I get, uh, I get called by, um, the CDC in our office, the CDC is the chief division counsel. It's an FBI, well, it used to only be FBI agents. Now they have some civilians, but it's a uh, special agent attorney who holds a position as kind of the overall legal advisor within the office. If you have a search warrant or something like that, you go to them seeking advice on how best to write it and all that kind of stuff. So I get notified by the CDC who happens to be a female that um, I've been subpoenaed in the Slaby v. Holder case, the discrimination civil case. Um, at this point, I kind of asked some questions. Am I being subpoenaed as Mark Kreider or am I being subpoenaed as Special Agent Kreider? What are the parameters of what I can talk about and can't talk about? Uh, we make a call back to headquarters. They assure me that um, I, can talk about, I can talk freely, give my opinions. Um, I, I'm in the clear to say anything that I, I want to, as long as I'm telling the truth. And, uh, so I'm like, okay. So I go to notify the ASAC, uh, because I'm the squad supervisor. Uh, I let my first line supervisor who is the ASAC know he happens to be out of the office. So I walk down to the SAC to let her know who's going to be in charge while I'm gone. Um, she asked me, what case are you doing? And I said, Slavey V Holder. Um, she asked me a couple other questions and we're standing outside of her office, kind of where her secretary's desk is. She tells me, um, come in my office. We go in the office. She closes the door. I sit down. Um, and she starts basically berating me about, uh, Mr. Slaby has no right to be an FBI agent and he should be grateful for the job he got and he'll never be an FBI agent. He's ruining Milwaukee's reputation, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's such an uncomfortable conversation that uh, I finally get up and say, hey, I, I'm just Joe Friday, um, nothing but the facts. That's all I'm going to talk about. Um, leave her office. Um, Wait, you forgot something. What did she say to I, you? It would behoove you. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm also in for several jobs at that point. And she, do, she does one of the things that she says is uh, she tells me it would be in your best interest to come down on the side of the bureau. Um, and that's when I get up and say, I'm Joe Friday. I'm uh, uh, this conversation's over. Um, I immediately walk straight down the hall uh, to the CDC's office. And I tell the CDC basically that I think I've been involved in a felony. Uh, witness tampering and report it to her, who I think is the correct person in the office to report it to. Hold um, on a second. What I say in the middle of this story at this point is why is everybody so worried about this kid becoming yeah, an FBI? Say, what's, what's the conflict? <laughs> well, I, I need to know what the conflict is that you are. You have to come down on the side of the bureau. Well, what 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 are we taking sides on? I, I still don't understand. He, he's I, I suing he's suing the federal government or the bureau because they wouldn't let him have the job as a special agent because of his disability. Oh, it was just disability. Yes. Yeah. But, even okay. even though we passed well, all the tests. So, yeah. But one. So one of the interesting things is had they said that he can't do the job, he can't perform the job, um, the case the case review would have gone to OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, which is outside the purview of the FBI. But since they said he was being removed from training for a medical reason, it stayed in-house and within the FBI so that they could make the decision on what was going on. And I think that's very interesting. It doesn't make any sense to me because he was proficient. Like from everything I read, this kid was proficient with a firearm, even with this prosthetic. Um, yes. There was no issue whatsoever. Um, so it's just weird. And that's where I'm still digging around like this. We're going to get to the point in the story in a second. But Mark basically took the brunt of some crazy stuff for this kid. And it, it just it doesn't equate for me. So keep going. Sorry. Right. And it's a, that's a sixty four thousand dollar question to this day. I have no idea 
what what the burr under the saddle was for why he was targeted uh you know other than some people just don't think that a guy with one arm uh is the ideal of an fbi agent where is he now uh he's actually at fbi headquarters as a supervisor which i just i laugh every day (laughs) and to me i'm like you you retired because of all the crap you were going through for just being honest about this kid you retire and now he's climbed the ladder yes yeah which, which is just, it's so ironic. It, it, you can't write stuff like this. How long ago was this again? Uh, I think his lawsuit finished in 2013, if, I'm, if memory serves me, uh, like August, September 2013. So didn't mean to interrupt you, just wanted to get the weirdness out there because it's, it's all very weird. So you, you go down after that and tell the person who's supposed to be watching over these folks that they don't do things like this hey, this person just did this. Please don't say anything because I'm afraid that I'll be retaliated against. And she basically does the same thing again, sort of, with her, and she gets disciplined again, right? So go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, after I talked to the CDC, I actually walked down to my desk. Uh, and I have a, because I'm on a cyber squad, I have kind of an um, undercover laptop. And I write the equivalent of an FD-302 for those people that don't understand FBI parlance, the FD-302 when I interview a subject or a witness or anybody, um, what I put it on is a form FD-302 because it's the government, we gotta have a form for everything. But that's a trans transcription or, a, um, you know, that's that's the, the writing of my interview with whoever I just interviewed. So two I- Two questions, two questions, number one, are you allowed to lose those? Are you allowed to uh, well, lose a 302 after you take one? No. So I know what you're getting at. You're getting at all this stuff. Also, 302s are so supposed to be written within five days of when you did your interview. Uh, and your notes, back in the day, your notes went into a 1A envelope and into the file so that you could refer to your actually your handwritten notes. So um, I did mine completely from memory. Obviously, I wasn't taking notes when I was talking to the SAC, but I wrote it down, uh, put it on uh, on that laptop and uh, just kept it for safekeeping for whatever reason I thought I may need this and I may need to refresh my memory. Um, uh, come to find out, uh, I, I actually end up going to DC. When I get to DC, there's an I'm sorry for all the acronyms, but I'm in the federal government. Uh, So there's an OGC attorney, which is the Office of General Counsel, which is within the FBI, and a U.S. attorney there for my deposition in this case. Um, It's not not in front of uh, a judge or anything in court. This is a deposition. So those are the two attorneys that are representing the FBI. On the other side is um, is one of Mr. Slaby's attorneys. And uh, um, Kathy Butler, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a shout out to Kathy Butler, a phenomenal attorney. And I, I choke on the words phenomenal and attorney together because I don't like attorneys, uh, but um, she did a phenomenal job. So when I get there, I tell the OGC attorney and the US attorney uh, in our meeting before we, we go in, I say, hey, this is what happened. I explain what I just uh, explained to your audience here. And uh, I said, I think that's, you know, uh, we have to turn that over because that's discoverable, okay? Uh, and they said, no, no, you're not familiar with civil civil rules and civil court. Uh, you're used to criminal court. You don't have to uh, tell anything, um, just tell the truth. I'm like, all right, but so you know, if she asks, I'm gonna tell her it happened. So um, we go through the deposition, uh, pretty thorough job. Uh, by Ms. Butler. The question doesn't really come up. Her last question to me is, hey, in preparation for your testimony today, did you have discussions about this case with anybody else? And I regurgitated what I just uh, told you. Um, I thought she was going to come unglued. She went kind of crazy and was like, are you kidding me? And then uh, she kind of jumped on the FBI attorneys because they hadn't disclosed this to her. Uh, they immediately filed a motion for a witness tampering hearing. We end up, uh, I end up flying back to DC about a week or two weeks later for a witness tampering hearing in front of the judge that's hearing the case. 
and uh, um, my SAC refuses to testify when they call her. Um, fortunately, the CDC in her testimony said instead of calling headquarters and letting them know what happened, she went down to the SAC and said, hey, Mark just told me that you told him blah, blah, blah. And essentially, she corroborated my story and said, yeah, the SAC said, yeah, that's what I told him. Um, so she did not do her job properly either. She did not protect my identity. She didn't protect my disclosure and she didn't forward it up the chain at that point. So um, uh, the, C the SAC was Teresa Carlson. Um, she refused to testify, claimed that she didn't have enough time to prepare. Um, was a problem so all around this woman. It yes. wasn't like she was like, this was like a one-off for her. This woman was involved in a lot of crap she probably didn't get re reprimanded for. Because and, I, in reading the IG report that came out, you can tell she's not good. She's not good. She's <laughs> No. Uh, and she got reprimanded for a lot of crap that she did to do as well. And in fact, uh, for, for several years after this, I got noticed that I had to keep all my information about her because she was suing the Bureau because she had been OPR'd too many officers. Um, that's basically our IA, or Internal Investigations Unit, is OPR. She had been OPR'd like five times, um, and she thought she was being targeted. Well, she was being targeted because she was- Terrible. Misbehaving. So you, um, so you now, you, um, you testify, then there's an IG complaint filed. Obviously, they do their investigation. She's beside herself, lying to the IG. Uh, other people are getting involved. Two names that the audience will know that got involved with this case, Director Robert Mueller and attorney or general counsel Andrew Wiseman was involved in this uh, incident. Um, and you start getting retaliated against because you're withheld from promotions that you deserve with a sterling record at the FBI because of what happened here. So explain a little bit of that experience. Yeah, so unbeknownst to me during this whole process, you know, up until, uh, I would say up until the, um, the witness tampering hearing, I still think I'm on Team America. You know, I, I, I'm 100% a believer that the FBI is gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna be vindicated, blah, blah, blah. Um, none of that comes to fruition. Um, and then once, once that happens, uh, it's recommended to me by, um, by an attorney that I make a complaint to OPR. OPR then uh, refers that over to the IG. The IG then starts an investigation. Um, and then slowly during some of this stuff, it starts coming out and I can, all, all during this time I'm putting in for supervisory jobs and I'm not getting selected and I can't figure it out, can't figure it out, can't figure it out. Um, finally, after all this is kind of through and, uh, through with everything, I start looking at my scores on these uh, on these promotions. And so I file a second complaint. The IG does an investigation. And basically, I find out one of the first jobs I put in for during this whole mess, I'm voted number one. The ASAC uh, that was in my office at the time goes to the career board and tells them, no, he's not going to be number one. And they re-rank me to number four. So I've been blackballed. Uh, and I'm finding this out in every one of my cases. Uh, they're basically blackballing me. Uh, when I when I started my lawsuit uh, for that, we actually got it was kind of funny because it was kind of at the same time that the uh, the Russia collusion investigation was going on. And we actually get text messages from people that are sitting on my career board, texting each other back, talking about the fact that I'm going to be on their career board and they've got it taken care of that it, I'm not going to get get the promotion. So um, that was kind of humorous. It's the same same stuff going on. So then you you decide you're done with all this and you're going to, you know, leave. You, you just gracefully exit and just leave. Uh well, I get, uh, I'm, I'm pretty much persona non grata. Uh, it, it's kind of funny because even my close friends within the Milwaukee office, I spent basically 17 years in the Milwaukee office. Uh, I, I fully planned on retiring out of the Milwaukee office. Um, but it was so toxic of a work environment that I basically had no choice but to leave. And I was able to transfer. They sent me to Spokane 
Washington. Uh, I finished up my last couple of years there and, uh, and retired in 2018. But, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, I can tell you that, uh, Teresa Carlson, the SAC, I know for a fact that, that, um, you read the first IG report, they won't say it outright, but they said it without saying is she lied to the investigators and she, and she did do what I purported her to do. And that was corroborated by the CDC. Um, the IG can only find, uh, find findings of fact, they can't make recommendations. So the IG sent that report back to OPR at FBI headquarters, um, which was, uh, run that's under the inspection division. Uh, the little web here is that the head of the inspection division was the previous SAC that had been there when I had done all the testing for Justin. Um, it's so, so a tangled web there. Um, they <laughs> sat on her OPR recommendation, which was to fire her. Um, in the FBI, you can't fire or you can't retire with full benefits until you're you have 20 years of service and are 50 years old. She was only 49 at the time. So they sat on her, um, her firing until she turned 50 years old. And then they noticed her that they were intending to fire her at retired. which time she retired with full benefits. And I, you said when we were talking about this earlier, you made a comment about how, like everybody says, you got to clean out the seventh floor and you got to clean out all these people. What, what happens? Apparently you're, you're well-versed in this. There's just some other slime ball waiting right behind them, right? It's just the culture. Yeah, um, you, you know, with my current job, I'm very aware of what uh, I think leadership within any any organization sets the tone for the culture and what will be tolerated and what won't be tolerated. And so I think that uh, manipulation of the system has been tolerated within the FBI. Um, I can tell you that in my last 10 years in the FBI, I could tell you who was going to get promoted on a job before the job was posted. Um, I don't know if I'm clairvoyant and I should go into business, uh, you know, making predictions like that. But um, it was very obvious who was going to get the job and why they were getting the job. So, yeah, my my concern is that, uh, you know, we talk about Number one, uh, I'm not a proponent of shutting down the FBI. I don't think the FBI is an organization that we need to lose. I think we need to we need to redo the culture within the FBI. Uh, as you say, I think you could walk through the seventh floor and fire everybody, but the people coming behind them have been raised within that culture, and I don't think you'll get any different than what you're currently getting. So that's the problem. We've got to change the course of that culture and not tolerate that kind of behavior. So what are you doing now? Tell everybody, because it's exciting to me. I think so anyway. <laughs> uh, well, luckily, when I got out to, uh, it was so bad in my office in Milwaukee that people literally wouldn't talk to me. Um, and um, until people witnessed it firsthand, the, the people that did kind of stick by me, and uh, um, which were very few and uh, very close friends that uh, I have to this day, uh, until they witnessed it firsthand, um, they couldn't believe it. And it was just, I mean, it was an extremely hostile work environment for me. So I came out, uh, luckily my supervisor, um, uh, I had known he had been in Chicago. We had done a lot of SWAT stuff together over the years, uh, Milwaukee and Chicago trained together. Um, so I'd kind of known him. He knew my story. He was a former Marine. Uh, so he was, he was very sympathetic. Um, he put me out going out and providing training. We covered 19 counties, uh, in the state. And so I met all the County sheriffs and stuff. And one of the County sheriffs kind of, uh, recruited me to come down. I was trying to get out of law enforcement and kind of just, uh, Black. lick my wounds and go somewhere else. And, uh, he, he kind of recruited me, come down to Walla Walla. I did a bunch of training down in Walla Walla. We'll, we'll make you kind of the training guy. It'll be no heavy lifting. Um, and I came down there in March and in April, he announced that he wasn't running again. And uh, it, I was moving into an appointed position. So with a new sheriff, it was gonna change. Um, the two candidates that they had running for sheriff that announced first uh, weren't the best that the uh, office was enthralled with. So uh, some of the deputies came to me and asked me to run. 
uh, way outside my comfort zone. Um, but I ended up running a campaign and uh, somehow got elected sheriff. And uh, I just got reelected to my second term here in Walla Walla. So you are sheriff of Walla Walla, Washington right now. I am. I'm one of uh, 38 elected sheriffs in the state of Washington. Amazing. Fantastic. I think that's great. So this is not like you may be done talking to us, but I'm not done with this because (laughs) there's a lot that I'm seeing in here that just makes me go, hmm, now maybe, listen, not everything that makes me go, hmm, turns out to be a hmm, but you never know because there's a, I haven't gotten through the second, uh, the second IG report about your promotions yet all the way. So I'm going to. So what's interesting is when you read the first IG report, um, obviously a bunch of it is still redacted because I can't get the full report, which is uh, complete BS. But you'll notice that I'm basically one of the few people that are named by name in there, which is a complete violation of the Privacy Act. I was still an active agent at that point. Um, uh, SACs, because they're their senior executive service within the government, they're allowed to be named because they evidently you give up your privacy when you become an SESer. But you'll notice that every other person in there is named as ASAC one, yep. supervisor one, the CDC. None of them are named other than me. And I think that was completely targeted in order to make me feel uncomfortable. I the just- second I just, the second IG investigation is if you go onto the IG's website has never been published as all IG, IG investigations are required to be published on their website. I just I just don't understand why this was such a big deal to them. It just is so weird to me. Like this was such a big deal to them. Why? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Mark, thank you so much for telling everyone your story. We're going to, I'm going to follow your little, um, your, uh, your, I'm going to find you on social media. I'm sure you have a sheriff, a sheriff, Walla Walla sheriff. (laughs) We do. We have a Walla Walla sheriff's Facebook page. Uh, I don't run it and I don't administer it and I can't even get on it. Okay. Disclaimers, disclaimers. We'll see. Um, So it wasn't, it wasn't you. (laughs) No, but I think it's important that the story gets out there. And uh, I think it's relevant to kind of the problems that the FBI is having leadership wise. Um, I really don't want to see the FBI does a lot of great work. I worked with a lot of great people, but there is a culture within the FBI that and within the federal government, I think overall, that needs to be changed so that we are doing what we need to do for the American people. And I think a lot of people forget that they're public servants. I'm still a public servant to this day. I don't I don't serve for me making money or me getting power and prestige. I serve for the people of now the people of Walla Walla County, you know, before I serve for the American people. So um, I think that needs to be first and foremost in every government employee's uh, lexicon. Yeah, I, if we could keep that mantra like like you you have, we would be in great shape. Just freak, it's terrible. It, it fit right in that you you ended up meeting with Kyle because he's really on a quest, and I give him a ton of credit for that. And you too, because this was long before anyone was really paying attention to stuff like this in the general public, right? So um, glad that we could bring. Yeah. And I would I apologize. I meant to get Rosemary's book so I could give a plug out to Rosemary Dew. Uh, not long after I retired, Rosemary Dew, who is a uh, former FBI special agent, um, reached out to me and Rosemary wrote a book about FBI whistleblowers. And I would encourage everybody uh, to look up Rosemary Dew on Amazon, get a copy of her book, because there's some stories in there that will kind of curl your hair. Um, of other people that were going through the same thing that I endured. It's if you read them, it's almost a playbook of what the FBI does. Um, and with Kyle and Steve Friend, one of the one of the big things that the FBI routinely does is they if they can't fire you because they don't have any cause to fire you, what they do is they make something up and they suspend your security clearance, forever. and now you're in limbo forever. Forever. I mean, they're still in limbo. It's going to be years before. And they can't get other jobs. Yeah. They hold you hostage. It's really, really terrible. Mark. And and the EEO process, what they do is they spend you into oblivion. Nobody, when I was going through the process, 
the average time was about 13 and a half years to resolution. Well, nobody can afford to pay an attorney for 13 and a half years uh, on a government salary. So um, the EEO process is pretty much a farce. Yeah, there's no recourse for it. You just do what you're supposed to be doing. You do what you're told. You lie if they ask you to. Um, terrible. It, that's that's where that's why we're losing all these good men and women of character, of good character and integrity because they don't yeah. want to live through that. Mark, I appreciate you very much. It's very early in Walla Walla, so I'm gonna <laughs> let you go back to sleep. Thank you, Something Mark. Thank you me. so much. Yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate you. Really, we'll stay in touch. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Ooh, what happened here? What? Hmm. Uh, that was really a great interview. No, um, OBS updated today. Oh, no. Yeah, hold on a second, because I got to change. I have, change. I have been rejecting updates for the last six updates. Got to change some things here. Did it take you to that new blue-purple Streamlab stuff? I don't know what it did, to be honest. All I know is I had to reset all of my uh, my visuals when I when I got open, and it was so quickly before the show started that I yeah, I, no. yeah. so um, listen. I wanted everybody to hear that. I know it, it's not necessarily the quote juiciest of things, right? But this is a random like it doesn't make sense to me. It it doesn't make sense. It's just the whole the whole thing is just testimony of of the pettiness in, in, in pettiness, vindictiveness and 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 that the the logic is not consistent in any way, shape or form, except that if you do not listen to what I say, I am going to dedicate my time to destroying you, even though the person that they were upset, he was in any way, shape or form helping to become an agent is now a supervisor. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing on the seventh floor. How he can, how the guy, he was trying to help and got in trouble for being in any way, shape or form, part of his ascension into the FBI he is now a supervisor. And he, Mark, has essentially had his career uh, scuttled. Yeah, destroyed. For what? Just because there was even a fleeting moment of resistance. Insane. But but the but the initial resistance I still don't understand. No, I know. I mean the initial rejection, like right. no Why that why? Why? I'm gonna I'm keeping going. I'm I'm gonna keep going. Don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going with this because I was reading it scratching my head yesterday. But that all being said, um a bunch of things that I wanted to talk about. You know the the gentleman who was uh bombarded by the FBI and attacked by the FBI SWAT raid for the FACE Act, for getting into a little uh, altercation with a an escort outside of the abortion clinic about 55 feet away from where it was because he, he allegedly the guy's son was attacked by this escort. Mark Houck is his name, or H-O-U-C-K, Hawk Houck, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it. Um, anyway, he's going to trial. He was arrested. SWAT raided his house, 20 SWAT agents. He's got seven kids at home. He's a... Catholic minister. He runs a a, a, um, a ministry, um, and and they the FBI arrest uh, arrest him under the Face Act. And reading through his court case yesterday, it ends up that really there is no provision in the Face Act that protects escorts. And additionally, he wasn't even considered on their property when it happened. It's going to be an interesting one if the the hearing. And the trial is live streamed. I'm going to pick a couple days and probably stream the trial because I can tell already that this one is going to be an interesting, interesting, interesting court case for the DOJ. Hmm. Really interesting. Um, so there's that. Hey, guys, if you're watching live, please click the like button. It really helps us a ton. Appreciate it you does. guys. It really does. I'm not we're not just saying that it's it, it, it's scientific. It's not even it's not a. Uh... Like it's the best thing you can do for your, for any kind of stream that you like. We're we're blessed that there are like twelve hundred or you know close to thirteen hundred of you watching with us right now live. If all of you hit that button, we could probably have double double of you watching right now. And then if they liked us, they'd stay, and that that would be great. 
Um, separate from that that I'm looking at, Frank, I, I, I almost was in a lighthearted mood today. I just wanted to share, we will not be here on Friday. I have um, something that came up re- relatively quickly that I have to do on Friday morning, sadly. So no show on Friday. Boo. Boo. But I wanted to do like maybe the second half. And I was going to go live from the studio too on Friday morning. Of course you were. I because I had I'm going to be up extra early on Friday, so you know what? I might as well go to the studio. I mean, we could do it later. Well, I mean, I I have a I have another show I'm doing at ten, and then there's a there's something else there afterwards. So it's. I'll, 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 there'll be another day. I will get there. We'll do the show from the studio, no doubt. Fine. Anyway, I want to go a little, little, little bit lighthearted, even though there's some heavy duty stuff going on. Like, for example, Tucker Carlson was the FAA held hostage in a secret ransomware attack. Did you see this? Uh, no. This is about last week when they grounded all the flights in the United States. This may be ransomware. He, he, or are they just saying it? Tucker. I happen to know for a fact that Tucker Carlson does not air anything that is not fact check to the hilt. Like you're not getting fake news on Tucker Carlson. He goes through this whole thing on here and then he talks about how the price of Bitcoin surged right when this was happening. It also happened in the Philippines and in Canada, Frank. The Canadian, the Canadian side of things is crazy because were they reporting that there was a corrupt file in, in Canada? What grounded Canadian flights? Because in the U.S., what we got the day after all, all of that, uh, the, the flights were grounded was that it was a 33-year-old corrupt file. Oh, yeah. That, that, made, that made everything come down, well, that, including the backup systems. That's basically what, that's basically what the U.S. said about their their problem let's well here's a really interesting long, story so five days but, ago last wednesday the yeah. faa ordered a ground stop on all air travel in the u.s that meant that not a single commercial or private aircraft was allowed in the skies over this country and that's very serious hard to overstate the seriousness of that actually the last the only other time this country has imposed a national ground stop was after 9 11 the terror attacks 21 years ago so it's a huge deal what happened why did the government ground all the planes so people ask, but initially no one seems to know. Pete Buttigieg, who runs the Transportation Department, which oversees the FAA, went on TV to say he was not quite sure. And then over the next several hours, a kind of story emerged. The government system that sends messages to pilots, called NOTAM, had gone down. And then the emergency backup system had also gone down. Now, the FAA claimed it first noticed this on Tuesday night. When the problem could not be fixed, the government issued a ground stop the next morning. That's what Pete Buttigieg said. He described the culprit here as, quote, a damaged database file with no evidence of a cyber attack. So to repeat, said Pete Buttigieg, there was no evidence of a cyber attack. It was just your garden variety software snafu. Some contractor entered the wrong code. No big deal. That's what they said. But it was not a very convincing story if you thought about it. Shutting down all commercial air travel in this country, even for a morning, is a very serious thing to do. U.S. airlines haul close to three quarters of a billion people every year. Air travel is essential. It's also potentially dangerous. So for a lot of reasons, it is imperative that our system works perfectly. But one day, our system just shut down for no real reason. Is that what you're telling us? Yes, explained Pete Buttigieg with a straight face. Now, most people seem to think this was fine. We were not entirely convinced. And then the next day, last Thursday, we noticed that virtually the same thing happened in Canada. Well, that was very strange because the U.S. and Canada have separate aviation authorities. They're different countries, and each country uses its own software to route their planes. The systems are not linked to each other. And yet, 24 hours after our country's NOTAM system went down, Canada's NOTAM system went down also. According to the Canadian government, its system, quote, experienced an outage. Really? What are the odds of that? And then we remembered that on New Year's Day, two weeks ago, something similar (laughs) happened in the Philippines. Its air traffic control system also went down. Mm -hmm. For a time, no aircraft were allowed in Philippine airspace. Thousands of flights over Asia had to be rerouted, which is expensive and dangerous, potentially. 
Now, this was also, they told us at the time, some sort of minor technical problem that we should not worry about. Calm down. Everything's fine. But is everything fine? Or is it possible that somebody is hacking into aviation systems and holding various governments around the world hostage until they pay a ransom? Well, yes, it's entirely possible. In fact, for example, in the summer of 2020, UCSF Medical School paid more than a million dollars in Bitcoin, and they paid it in order to get access to their own computers, which had been frozen by hackers. They were held up for ransom. So what if the same people or similar people just did something very much like that to the FAA and then to the government in Canada and also the government of the Philippines? Unbelievable. Now, if that were actually happening, the Biden administration would never tell us in a million years. They would lie about it like they lie about everything else. They would have Mayor Pete claim it was a software glitch from a contract. Not if, they're, not if it was Russian. And they would lie to us right. because they would not want us to know that they had been so utterly reckless and negligent and distracted by equity concerns. That's true. That they had All allowed they talk some about an FAA foreign hostile group to take control of our FAA. But the lie could only cover so much because there would be signs of it. Mm -hmm. Almost all ransoms like this are paid in Bitcoin. So if the U.S. government was buying huge amounts of Bitcoin in order to pay a ransom, Bitcoin prices would surge, of course. So the question is, has that happened? Oh, yes, it has happened. Since the nationwide ground stop last Thursday, the price of Bitcoin has shot up about 20%. 20%. Wow. Everybody hey, sell. Listen. If you've got Bitcoin, hey. sell now. <laughs> it's up to, it's, it's, it's 21,000. Uh, 21,000 a coin right now. And uh, hey, you know what? There's plenty of unaccounted for tens of billions out there. Plenty. Remember, a lot of the, the laundering that was being done through FTX and uh, and uh, Ukraine back into the United States for the midterms was all through crypto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what FTX is. But still, this is how. Yeah, that bothers me a lot. That's that's talk about. OK, we talk about our weak grid. That could be catastrophic if somebody wanted to really harm a lot of people. They could hack the FAA. Imagine flight towers all over the country unable to communicate with pilots in the air. Just if it's that vulnerable that they can go in and take down the main system and the backup, that's a big problem. Like, really big. See, I, I don't know. Something this big, though, I always just suspect us. And uh, I mean, I, I don't know, uh, especially why would, when. Why would we do that? Why would we well, do that? If this comes, the fact that they're covering it up, the fact that they're being they're they're remaining mum on it, does bring up bigger questions about why would we? Because with FTX and all that, obviously that was a very big deal. It had nothing to do with directing the air traffic, which which is you know accountable for tens of thousands of lives every day getting to where they need to be safely. But, you know, um, if this becomes a crypto thing, once again, what's the, what is one of the, what's one of the, the fixes for that? Now, I think, I oh, think regulating crypto and making sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the wall street journal just po posted it the other day. A digital currency is, is coming. Are people going to be ready? No. And everybody should start using cash again literally that's going to be I, something we all have to do we cannot let currency go digital completely we, we can't well we'll be a holdout we'll definitely be a holdout our generations will be a holdout for a while but uh th th this is something that they definitely want to go and they're creating they're creating impetus for it that's number one my question is though as we talk about this why if they haven't jumped all over this being a a hack or, or this this being ransomware that is that is something else because a it could be once again a, a reason to come down on why digital currency needs to be cracked down and centralized 
and outlawed across the board because it is then the, the the greatest tool for terrorism there is. And B, if this was terrorism, if this was ransomware, who did it and why aren't they exploiting who the culprits are? Because any any well, time to it, admit it, that it was ransomware would be to admit that our entire country is basically wide open to any sort of cyber threat that may come along. I mean, think about that. There's, there, no there's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't admit that this happened. They'll maybe they'll admit it when they catch the people that did it, or maybe not. Maybe they'll just torture them until they give up all the information that they're looking for. Who knows? But it's the the unknowns of it, Frank, are so terrifying to me. Like. And then there's the electric grids that have been attacked physically, right? We had we had that going on, North Carolina, Florida. They've been all over the country. They've been just shooting down plants. Yeah, but Tracy, Tracy says most of the, if not all, a good portion of all the mainstream reporting on this FAA situation was about how old and outdated our systems are. Yeah. So, so how would that... How would that uh, prop up the, this idea that we are we're impervious to to anything? I mean, our, we know that our, our power grid is is just ancient and completely uh, ridiculous. I'm just going to tell you that the CIA was using a password like John Podesta used for his email to protect the, the nation's most powerful and potent hacking tools that it used to hack other nations. So, yeah, we're a bunch of inept losers with. But out, outdated dinosaur, technological dinosaurs when it comes to the the, the, the You can't public. even get the, the parts for the grid anymore in a lot of places. That'll be a so, big problem. I don't even want so to think about it. Ugh, yeah. One metropolitan, major metropolitan area. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Guys. I'm just going to drive, drive everywhere I can. Blue Monster prep it up. Seriously, you must. Um, well, well, I, I, we have a few minutes left. Just quickly, I did a thread yesterday, and I said, "Can everybody please put the funniest thing that they saw yesterday on Twitter on this thread?" Right, and this one really, really got me. One of them. It, it has tons of them, but there's one in particular. Well, let's just let's play the Steve Inman. This isn't it, but let's play the Steve Inman Greta Thunberg. Well, there she is, little miss. How dare you? Being so stunning and so brave as usual when the cameras come around. You can see these officers are in no rush to arrest her. They're just there for the photo op. Greta obviously looks comfortable. She's not stressed at all. This is like being on a movie set. You can see these officers are in no rush to take her in. In fact, they're more uh, concerned about their hand and how hard they're grabbing her. And you can see Greta's just smiling, knowing that right after this, she's just going to take her to the freaking five-star hotel and take her on the freaking plane she flew in on it's lights camera action baby down here in germany she got a oh she got arrested yesterday i know they're taking pictures and they lifted her up and it's just pathetic really really sad um the whole thing's pathetic but i did this thread like everybody tell me what your funniest thing is and there's a lot of really funny stuff on this thread like really really funny but one of the things that that somebody highlighted out on is this isn't really funny this is scary um, this woman took her daughter and changed schools and has now locked down her TikTok because libs of TikTok has found her. It's the crazy eyes. I don't know if you could, you, if you, you, here. The school district now is a freaking nightmare. I go to enroll my child and my kiddo is standing right there. I hand them the birth certificate and I say, see right here, this is his sex. He is a boy. He goes by he, him. I had no issues at his past school and I don't expect to have any issues here. Okay, yeah, stop. I swear, it was I like can't, I, I, I can't. Here. No, no. This is a crazy person who should have never been allowed to procreate, and um, I don't. I don't know. You know, eugenics has a really bad, has a really bad rap. It's very. It's a. It's a, one of those things where you, you see eugenics like, oh no, this could only ever be bad. But the more, the more I see, what kind of absolute crazy crazy religious because this is religious people are doing where it is a sacrificial religion 
that they are a part of, a secularized, sacrificial religion in which the children are born and they never have a chance. Well, her daughter, who is now being considered a, a boy, has her, I'm playing the rest of this, Frank. You're gonna have to grit through her up talking and squealing and listen to what else she says. Because if you say these things and you think you're normal, we have a, a, a bigger societal issue that we need to address. And it's happening more and more here. And the transphobic secretary was just waiting on us that day. She said she wouldn't put my child in the school system as his name because it has to match a birth certificate. But again, had no issues at the last school. <laughs> I told her I absolutely would not enroll my child as a female. And she said, you will and you are. She enrolled my child as a female, then sent mail to my house with my child's dead name on it. Dead name. I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I'm, I'm telling you. She it's... dead named her child. She took her child's name that her child was born with and she now refers to it as a dead name. I don't know. I think some people should not be allowed to procreate. Look at her. I mean, you can't see it if you're listening, but if you look at her face, which you can do if you click on the link in the description box or in the show notes, she's crazy. I mean, she's got the crazy eyes where the whites of your eyes are showing above your iris. I can't do that unless I'm like, seriously, tr like, I don't want, there's no expression that I make other than like, it, it's, she's like that all the time. It's very strange. And just a couple on that yesterday, there was something else that happened. An investigative journalist ended up exposing a, an LGBTQ activist pedophile ring. A gay married couple arrested, I mean arrested, oh, yeah. adopted two young boys and... Happens more than you think, by the way. From a Christian adoption agency, because they they're another one bend over backwards. You can thank you can thank uh, uh, faith based faith based organizations, Christian faith based organizations for a lot of what's going on with legal immigration, and also uh, gay adoption too. They were sexually abusing these boys and pimping them out to their friends. Very hardcore gay activists in the in the community. These poor and boys. You, and you can say, and I've seen people say, well, 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 well you know, yeah, this is a terrible story, but uh, biological parents abuse their children too. And my my uh, response to that is a quick, uh, a swift yes, and that's bad enough. The, to, but to go out of your way to create a whole sector of the system which throws children into high-risk situations that you just could avoid easily. Yes, yes, well, it's bad enough. It's bad enough that biological parents can be sexually abusive to begin with. Both boys who are back in foster care, gosh, were rescued in a midnight July 27th raid on the Zulok mansion, which ended with Zachary being tackled to the ground, his bruises visible in his mugshot, and William being hauled out of the house naked by armed officers. There is a four minute long audio clip here. The accused child rapist cried on recorded jailhouse calls shared with Town Hall. William described the armed raid when he was arrested in bed naked. They were doing like a drug bust or something overkill. So when the when the authorities actually raid a home for the right reasons, Anyway, our business is our business. What happens in our home stays in our home. The gay activist couple allegedly told their sexually abused sons. LGBTQ pride decor littered the mansion, placed at the entrance a rainbow Mickey Mouse and a gayest place in town welcome mat. Yep. Religion. The couple's lavish lifestyle seemingly materialized after they got the children. Zachary admitted to sending this child porn to less than a dozen people. There are other potential co-defendants under investigation that are still out there circulating videos of the abused boys. Part two will drop today. Unbelievable. Just sad and unbelievable. And, you know, like you said, everybody's going to take a minute to be like, oh, it's just because you're focusing on this because they're LG. No, we focus on this all the time, but you guys call us conspiracy theorists for it. This is sick crap it's sick 
And then worse and, worse is seeing the the women who have deboobed themselves pregnant having babies as men. Quote. What is happening? The chill, the chill, it's it, it, listen, there's never ever going to be a time when you don't have sick, sick um, people, adults roaming the earth, trying to just get through life and, uh, and and hitting every branch on the tree of life on the way down. Uh, obviously, there are people who live very rough lives. They come from rough, uh, rough backgrounds. They've probably been abused themselves. It's a terrible cycle. And sometimes it's just luck of the draw. But um, but but when it comes to children, again, this is this is nothing. This is not for for that mother. For that mother, to I, I don't know what's going on in her past, but I know what's going on in her present, and it's just social media and and um, and political fanaticism that makes them think, oh, this this is how I can take a stand in my life. My daughter is really a boy. Uh, my boy is really a girl. It's for them, and, right. And, and to, it's all for them. It is all for them. They've turned their children into commodities in, in the worst way. And, and, and just think about that, to, to be in a household, being a child, and have already been confused and abused by your parents who are dressing you in different clothes because – you're just being a kid and they're supposed to be the tether to reality, the foundation to met out all of that, you know, your fantasies as a child. I thought I was a Ninja Turtle when I was six years old. You are a Ninja Turtle. All right. Turtle. I can't, maybe this today, you could somebody be. would have told me I am. Gender yourself, that pronoun yourself is a turtle. But can you imagine normalizing a phrase like to, to your, to your child? Oh, oh. Cindy, that's your dead name. That's your dead name. It's such a morbid thing to carry around with you. I have a dead name. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's messed up, man. Just yeah. think about the psycho, the psychological baggage of having to carry that around as a child. I have a dead name. You it's know what's weird. crazy is that, like, real quick before we go, because I. Uh, Eliza on on Twitter had posted um, something about why is it that men are all flocking to these alpha male training classes where like they learn how to be, you know, like the Andrew Tate classes of the world. And I said, it's it's women. It's freaking crazy lunatic feminist women that have caused men to do this. And then there was a bunch of people saying, well, men have power over themselves. That's not what I meant, first of all. But second of all, someone, a bunch of male feminists started posting at me and I'm like, these are the people that are doing this to their kids. That they've lost their nuts. Excuse the male my feminists you just you, you just ignore them. There's nothing to even talk about. They're not real people. I'm like you've but, lost your way, sir. You've lost your way, like completely lost your way. Just ignore them. Ignore them. Have nice big public conversations in spite of them. Uh, yeah, but women have been destroyed by and large. I know, I know that there are traditional, there are traditional women. There are women who just, you know, they've never been pulled in one way or another. They're they're strong in their own ways, and but they but they have not been pulled into this craziness. But by and large, the brand of feminism, which does not serve women at all, it destroys them and makes them really no. There are pathetic. men in women's locker rooms now because of it. So yeah, it's gone. It's but it's pathetic. I I have been in male-dominated industries my entire life. Everything I've done career-wise in my life has been male-dominated industry. I have never, never once had a problem advancing, increasing. I would argue I might have more power than men do just by the mere fact that I'm a woman. Like, even back in the day when, quote, women couldn't vote, the power that women had in a household to direct and to influence their husbands should not be understated. And they just didn't realize it. They got like, we left it. Oh, God, I don't even want to get started. Anyway, we're done for today. I have to stop. Women ruined everything. They did. They did. I'll, I'll, uh, women <laughs> no, suck. No. They ruined it all. No, 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 no. Well, okay, well listen, 
there are certain things I, I love taking shots and, and doing doing man man versus woman, you know, joying and having a good time. But really always remember. And I, a few people have put it this way. I, I really love it. As far as what we know as feminism goes, it, it, it had to have been designed by a man. It turned women into, I mean, the, all they do is get, give up their bodies at will. It's, it's completely, it's incredible. They've, they've destroyed themselves intellectually. They are mental nitwits. These these feminist types, you can't have a conversation with them that doesn't ha- that doesn't lead to them spurting out in some way because the logic just fries. And then sexually, oh my gosh, tell me what kind of a, a, a brilliant man came up with convincing women that they need to be just as piggish as men are. They need to be, you you know, you want it. You want it constantly. Go ahead, <laughs> indulge, indulge. There's plenty, there's, you know, and and it's just, uh, it's it, so it's been a great thing for a hookup culture. But the problem is that once you get out of college, you realize how absolutely miserable people are. Yeah. Uh, and it's and it's destroyed both men and female happiness and, and fulfillment um, and fulfillment, uh, whatchamacallit, um, statistics and all of that. It's incredible how in a very short period of time and i gotta send you some studies on this i think it would be it would make for a really good show um in a very short period of time we were just taken down from liberation theology we're down in the gutters in just a couple of short generations and i I think now people are clawing for something else and that's why all those alpha male courses are popping up and everybody's learning to chop wood again and just they 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 just don't want to be a part of this i don't know it's very weird it's it's almost like we're in we're in icu like the entire culture is on is in intensive care right now and we're just being kept alive by all these artificial means and and hoping that we wake up i i don't know i also say it Ah, we'll do a whole show on feminism frank but for today you have been listening to the dark to light podcast with Hump Day Val and Beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. Also in the mornings, live on Rumble and Getter at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And don't miss Frank's show Monday through Friday at 7 p.m. at QuiteFrankly.tv. We're going to see you back here on Monday. Later. Later.